Welcome to the Travel Therapy Mentor Podcast, your number one source for travel therapy information and education. Hosted by travel physical therapist duo, Jared and Whitney. Join us each week on Facebook Live to learn about a new travel therapy topic, or subscribe to our podcast to hear the replay every week. Hey everyone. Hey guys. Welcome to another Travel Therapy Mentor video. Tonight we're going to be talking about financial independence, uh, kind of all things financial independence. So what it is, why it's something that you should pursue, our path, and some of the reasons why it's easier to get to as a travel therapist. Um, we've realized recently that people have different definitions for what financial independence is, especially people that aren't in, actively involved in any, any of the personal finance community like we have for the last few years. Um, so we want to talk about what our definition is, I guess, and uh, what's the commonly accepted definition in the personal finance community. So Whitney's going to introduce us. I'm going to get this video shared in a few different groups, and uh, then we'll talk about financial independence. All right. Hey, everybody. Thank you all for joining us. My name is Whitney Aiken. And I'm Jared Kazaza. And we are both traveling physical therapists. We've been doing Travel PT for about five years now, and many of you guys may have followed us on our Travel Therapy Mentor page or on our Fifth Wheel Physical Therapist page. Uh, Fifth Wheel PT is the first blog that we started um, going on four years ago. And on that blog, we write a lot about our own personal travels and Jared writes a lot about finance on there. So if you are somebody who's followed Fifth Wheel PT in the past, you might already know all about financial independence. You might've followed along with um, Jared's journey to financial independence and a lot of the financial articles. But some of you guys might be new to our page. You might not have ever looked at our personal blog. Maybe you're only on our Travel Therapy Mentor page. So we wanted to kind of talk a little bit about the basics of what financial independence is for those that might be new to this concept. Um, for those of you guys that are joining in with us live tonight, we really appreciate you tuning in. We'd love if you'd say hello in the comments and let us know that you're there. Let us know if you're a traveler, if you're a student, if you're on your own path to financial independence, or if this is a totally new concept to you, we'd love to hear from you. And just as a quick reminder, we are doing um, a mini series. You know, usually we do these videos every week, every Sunday night, um, just on various travel therapy topics. We've been doing our long Facebook Live videos for about a year and a half now, but you guys might've seen earlier this past week, we put out a shorter video on Wednesday, and that's a small series that we're doing over the next six weeks called Travel Therapy 101. And that's just a series to go over kind of the basics of travel therapy. We're kind of reintroducing some of those topics in shorter video form format and shorter um, articles for those, again, that are kind of new to the concept. So stay tuned. This coming Wednesday, we'll be doing another video on the Travel Therapy 101 series. Um, and again, this might be really good information for those of you guys that are new to travel therapy. Whereas every Sunday we'll continue to do our longer videos where we talk in a lot more detail about bigger concepts like we are tonight about travel, um, travel therapy and financial independence. Yep, so what is financial independence? Essentially financial independence is getting to a point where you can live off of your investment returns indefinitely. So you don't need to bring in money anymore um, as a therapist or whatever your, your day job is. So getting to a point where investment returns bring in enough to cover all of your living expenses. Now, uh, a way that a lot of people, uh, myself included, go about figuring out what number that is, so what, basically what net worth you need to get to to get to that point, is to take your expenses and multiply them by 25. So take your yearly expenses, multiply by 25, and that's essentially the, uh, the number that you need to be at, need to have that amount invested in order to be able to live off of your investment returns indefinitely. So that basically gives you a 4% um, withdrawal rate. So if you take your 
total net worth, your invested net worth, and you withdraw 4% per year to live on. Um, and that would be what your, how you calculated the number was with your expenses. Then you would be able to live off that indefinitely because even though the average stock market return might be somewhere around seven to 8% per year, or depending on the, the decade you're in, maybe even a little more than that, there are situations where stock returns are low enough that to be safe, you probably need to only be withdrawing about 4%, if that makes sense. So that's the really technical definition. And if you're brand new to this concept, a lot of what Jared just said might sound completely foreign to you. It's a lot of numbers, it's a lot to understand. Um, Let's just take a step back and kind of look at it as a broad overview of why this might be important to you, to you guys as our listeners. Um, one time we were talking to a friend and I said, you know, Jared's on this path to financial independence. And, and she looked at me and she said, aren't we all financially independent? Like we're out of school, we don't live with our parents anymore, we have our own jobs and we don't rely on somebody else to give us money. Isn't that what financial independence is? And I was like, yeah, I guess in a way, you know, a lot of people would look at that as like, we're, we're independent now, we're adults. We financially don't have to rely on our parents anymore or someone else to give us money, but yeah. you still have to rely on your job. Yeah, that's the difference is, uh, yes, that's financially independent in terms of you can live off of your own income, but we are shooting for a point where we can get to where we don't have to work at all if we don't want to. Yeah, and I think for a lot of people who might be watching this, I know a significant portion of our audience are students or newer grads within their first couple of years out of school, or maybe you're like us, you're around five years out of school. And a lot of people, that just sounds like a really far-fetched concept. Like, well, how am I ever going to amass enough wealth to not have to work? Like, doesn't that happen when you're 65 and you retire? So we have to look at this concept as kind of like breaking that mold of like the typical American retirement. The typical American retirement thing of 65, that's basically just relying on when the government says, here, you can cash in on this. Um, social security that you racked up over all these years. But, you know, you've, I'm sure you've met people before that retired early. Like maybe they just, you're, you think, oh my gosh, they must have just made so much money that they were able to put aside so much money that they could live off of it when they were 50 or 55 and they didn't have to wait till 65. Well, we're kind of talking about that, but it could be even earlier. Um, there's a lot of people in this kind of, they call it the financial independence retire early movement or FIRE movement who are retiring in their 20s and 30s and basically have built enough wealth in their early career to be able to live off of that money if it's invested properly yeah. for the rest and of their lives. On the Fifth Wheel PT website, I've been writing about my own journey to financial independence for over four years now. So uh, within four years of graduating, I got to a point where my net worth was over 25 times my expenses, my yearly expenses, which means that I was at financial independence. This was um, last year, so at 30 years old. And Basically, we'll talk about how we got there, but for the most part, it's just minimizing expenses and maximizing income and trying to invest the difference and um, really kind of a little bit of luck there with uh, good investment returns over the last four years as well. But the big thing is how much are you able to save? What is your savings rate? What percentage is that? Because the higher your savings rate, the quicker you can make it to financial independence. Uh, a lot of people seem to think that you know the only way to really build wealth is to invest well and make a lot of money off investing. But I think that's a naive way to look at it. In reality, you really make most of your um, gains in net worth by your savings rate and not your investment return. Yeah, I think a lot of people that are new to this concept might look at Jared's articles or look at us and say, oh, Jared got to the point of financial independence where he technically doesn't have to work anymore by the age of 30. And you guys think, 
wow, what is Jared just a millionaire? Did he just save like $1 million and get really lucky and is just super rich and that's why he doesn't have to work anymore? It's not that at all. So the things to be able to calculate what would be, if, if you who's sitting across the screen from me right now were like to come to us and say, how do I know when I would be financially independent? The very first thing you have to look at is how much money you need to live on. Yeah. So the reason why Jared was able to get to financial independence is you look at your expenses. So he plans, he currently lives a very frugal lifestyle and he plans for the rest of his life to live a pretty frugal lifestyle. So he was able to save and invest enough money to get to a point where his net worth is enough to live off of with a modest lifestyle, a very frugal lifestyle. If, for example, you said to yourself, well, I need $50,000 a year to live on. Like I, I 100% spend $50,000 a year. Well, in order to get to a point where you have enough invested, Jared's going to run the numbers real quick. If you said that you truly spent $50,000 a year to get to where you could be financially independent and live on $50,000 a year, you would need to have this much saved. You would take 50,000, multiply it by 25, and then that gives you basically the 4% rule, which is um, 4% rule is based on research showing that even in very, very tough economic times where investment returns are not great, you still won't run out of money withdrawing 4% per year. And so you would need $1,250,000 to be financially independent based on a $50,000 a year um, expense budget. But what I think a lot of people think is they think, well, say if you're new, you're early in your career, you're a student and you think, well, as a physical therapist, I can expect to make somewhere around seventy dollars to $80,000 a year. That means I need seventy dollars to $80,000 a year to live on? No, not necessarily. If you don't choose to spend seventy dollars to $80,000 a year, if you and your family can, say, live on $40,000 a year or whatever, then your number would be X that you need. But there's a lot of people who are kind of realizing that this whole movement is basically you have to just alternately think and think more money doesn't equal more happiness. So there's so many people that have chosen this financial independence route that have said, you know what, I don't want to work until I'm 65, um, 40 hours a week, 52 weeks a year or 50 weeks a year and only get two weeks of vacation. I can afford to just live a more minimalist lifestyle, live on less. And that'll mean I have to have less saved in order to retire. And that's the whole concept is if you can live on less, you can retire or go to part-time work or not have to work, bottom line, way earlier. Yeah, and the, like I said, the main determining factor of that is your savings rate. So a lot of traditional financial advice will be based on how much you earn per year, like Whitney said. So it might be like a uh, financial advisor might tell you, oh, well, if you're 60 years old and you have 10 or 15 times your annual income saved, then you can retire. Um, but that doesn't really make sense because <clears throat> let's say, for example, you've been saving 50% of your income your entire life. There's no reason to go um, base your retirement number or, or the amount you need to retire on your income when you're saving way more than that. That's for the traditional retiree that's getting to 65 and say they've been just saving 5 to 10% of their income their whole career and then they're going to take Social Security. That would be that situation. But if you're able to save a significant amount more, you can get there much quicker. For me, that was um, over... So between 2015 and 2019, each year I saved somewhere between 80 and 90% of my income and invested all of that. And then with investment returns and all that, um, I took what my anticipated expenses are for the future, the yearly amount, multiplied by 25, and after four years had reached that amount, which means that I don't need to work anymore if I don't want to. 
So I want to talk about just kind of highlight two things here. Number one, if you're watching this, especially I know, like I said, a significant portion of our audience is in the younger crowd, um, maybe still students, maybe within the first five years of their career. First thing I want to cover is why does this matter to you and why should you care? The second thing is what should you do now to even know where to possibly get started? So the why, and a lot of people say they, the why of phi, is just to have more freedom and more flexibility in your life. I think a lot of people that are five plus years into their career, this is easy for you to conceptualize. Like if you're already later in your career and you're like, I'm kind of burnt out. Like I don't want to do this forever. I want to have more time with my family. You get it. I don't need to explain to you why this is important. If you're a student um, and all you're thinking about is like getting your career started or you're in the first five years of your career and that's all you're thinking about is like my student loans and like that kind of thing. I know you probably haven't thought far enough ahead of like what you necessarily want your whole career to look like. I know I didn't. I just thought, okay, keep my head down, grind this out, you know, get through school, start your career, and then we'll just see where it takes us, right? Well, I think that if you start thinking a little bit earlier, am I the type of person that wants to work forever or do I want to have more free time than just two weeks of vacation a year? Do I want to have more flexibility to spend more time with my kids instead of having them with the babysitter? That's the why we need to start thinking about this now. Yeah, I think the biggest reason, at least for me and I think for a lot of people, biggest reason to, to think about how much you need to be able to live off of, live off of investment returns, what are your expenses, all those things early on is just to have more options. So I've written articles in the past about like, um, the power of having options and, and how being a travel therapist really plays into having more options. But, you know, it's, it's wonderful to be in a position where it's like, okay, if we want to take three to six months off to travel, we can. If we want to go on road trips, we can. If we want to do anything we want, we can. If we want to go back to school, I've considered um, taking part-time uh, classes as at like a community college or something and something else that's interesting to me. Um, uh, planning on hiking the Appalachian Trail at some point. So there's a lot of things I want to do that take a lot of time. And you can't do that if you're working uh, 12 months a year, only getting a couple weeks of vacation, and you're spending almost everything you make. So that's kind of the why. Now, the if you're at the beginning of your career, and like we had somebody earlier this week ask us, where do I start with like a financial plan, with budgeting, with whatever? I think where you need to start is, what's the minimal amount that I can live on? Um, what's the lifestyle that is gonna make me happy, but I'm not gonna be spending my whole paycheck? So like Jared said earlier, savings rate. What does that mean? If you, if you get out of school and you start earning a paycheck of $70,000 a year, don't just say, okay, I make 70, I can spend 70. No, think what's the least amount I can spend. What's, what's the, least? the least I can, I can spend and still have a life that I enjoy. That's the way I've always looked at it. I'm not trying to live the uh, cheapest life ever and have a terrible life. I still want to travel. I still want to see the world. I still want to do a lot of things. So you have to be in a position, there's a, basically a give and a take there. You want to decrease your expenses as much as you can without significantly impacting your life. Yeah. I think a lot of people that look at people like Jared and people that are in this like extreme financial independence, I retired in my 20s, 30s, who lived in a camper like we did or like just never bought a new pair of shoes in their life or wore the same shirt for 20 years, you know, like stuff like that. And they look at it and they think, uh, I don't want to deprive myself of all this stuff. And we're not saying you have to. I think that if you are a student or you're somebody who's in the first couple years of your career, you just need to get a grasp on what really brings meaning to your life. 
Does a brand new car with a huge payment really bring you the most joy in your life? If it does, fine, keep it. But then what's another area of your budget that you can just keep low? We always say to students and new grads, try to continue to live like a pretty grad school life to get your financial um, situation off on the right foot. You know, don't go um, go into a, um, a mortgage lender and say, I want to buy a house. Like, what kind of house can I afford with my $70,000 paycheck? Because if you say, what kind of house can I afford? They're going to say, you can afford this $1.2 million mansion. Well, if that $1.2 million mansion is really going to bring you the most joy in your life, fine. But you're probably going to have to work a full career to pay that mortgage month after month for 30 years. If you can get a smaller house, a smaller mortgage, that's only going to take a certain percentage of your paycheck. So then you can put a whole chunk of your paycheck into savings. Um, I think it was really, really insightful. Um, earlier this week, somebody asked us on our Instagram story, where do you start with the budget? And Jared did what he said was like the anti-budget. Yeah, I, I think that's the easiest way for most people. And it depends on the kind of person you are. I, I'm somebody that has to try to force myself to spend because I am very oriented towards saving for the future. Um, so if you're that type of person, I think... An anti-budget makes a lot of sense. And so basically what that is, um, I would take my monthly amount I was I should make monthly, and then I would s subtract out how much I wanted to save of that. So for me, I was always trying to save at least 80% of my paycheck. So if I could put 80% aside to save and invest, and then try to only live on the remaining amount. So I never actually like budgeted down to the dollar at all, but I would save first and then try to live on the remainder. And I think that's an easier way to do it than to track every dollar. It gets kind of frustrating. So that's a big part of it that you have to look at if you're early in your career is how much do I really have to spend and how much can I put aside? Now we're talking a lot about putting aside into investing, but we also need to think about debts. So for a lot of you guys, you're looking at a big amount of student loan debt. And for a lot of you, it makes the most sense to go ahead and pay that down as early as possible. So if you're like, I make 70,000, how much do I have to throw at my debt to just get rid of it as quick as possible? And then how much does that leave me left over every month to live on? Okay, that's gonna be your first like one, two, three, four, five year plan to just get rid of that debt. And then at year five, maybe you're gonna start thinking about, now I have all this extra cash every month to put aside to start dumping into my savings and set off my, um, my retirement plan basically. So that's one way to look at it. Um, to get into a little bit more detail, you know, you might also, if you're looking at an astronomical amount of debt, for some of you, it might make sense to go on an income-driven repayment plan where rather than throw all your money at your loans, you instead to throw it at investing and just let your loans ride out over that 20-year period and hope for forgiveness at the end, which is actually what we've decided to do. Yeah, uh, I think that has significantly increased um, our path to financial independence, getting there much quicker that way. And that was just running the numbers and determining that made the most sense. But that is definitely one of the reasons that being a, a travel therapist allows you to get your financial independence more quickly. So we're going to transition into that. Why, why is it easier to reach financial independence as a travel therapist? I want to leave you with one last thought on just the why before we get into how travel therapy can help you to achieve that goal. And this is something really important that Jared pointed out to me early in our relationship, like before we even started earning a paycheck, is the concept of how much you choose to spend week to week, month to month, determines how long you have to work. If you choose to spend a lot, you're going to have to work longer. So if you look at it in reverse, it's like each hour I work um, or each dollar I spend, how many hours do I have to work to pay that off? Yeah. And this has always been intuitive to me. I, I remember thinking about this when I was 16 and had a part-time job. 
and I was making, I remember I was making 625 and I would get off work and I'd be like, man, I would really like to go to Wendy's and get a, like a chicken nugget meal or something like that. And I'd be like, man, but that would be a whole hour of what I just worked. Would I rather have that meal or would I rather work one hour less? And I did not like my job. So the answer was always, I'd rather work one hour less. So I always look at it in terms of how much time is it going to take me to work to make the amount that I'm spending. And if I would rather not work than have that thing, I don't get it. And, and if you uh, want to look at that on a bigger like adult travel therapy or therapist scale, it's like, okay, do I really want this $50 pair of shoes or do I want to have to work one more hour at my job? Or on a bigger scale, it's like, do I really want this $50,000 car that I'm going to have a $400 payment every month? Or do I want to work this many months and years of work to be able to afford that car that sits in the driveway and I drive to and from my job that I maybe hate. Yes. So just think about it in those terms. So if we haven't convinced you yet that financial independence is the way to go, maybe it's not for you, but maybe it's something that we've piqued your interest, we've intrigued you a little bit, you wanna know more, you wanna understand how you can get to a point where you don't have to be a slave to work forever. We're gonna talk a little bit about how travel therapy could be a really good route to get you to that point and how it's really helped us. And you don't have to be nearly as extreme as I, I've been. Um, and I, I encourage everyone to watch, watching this and listening to this to just take into account your own situation. Um, what are your expenses on a yearly basis? And based on that, multiply by 25, how much would you have to save? And then for every bit that you can cut out of those expenses, that's fewer years you have to work in your career, which may or may not be something you're interested in. Maybe it's an expense that you, you have to have. And then in that case, keep it. If it's not though, and you can cut it out, that means fewer years that you have to work, which I think for a lot of people is valuable. If you consider spending more time with kids, spending more time with parents that are getting older, that kind of thing, it can be very valuable to have that time instead of having the extra expenses. Absolutely, or fewer years that you have to work full time because maybe you're like, well, I love being a PT, I love being an OT, I love being an SLP. I don't necessarily wanna cut my career short, but maybe you don't wanna always have to work 40 hours a week. Maybe you wanna to transition to working PRN or part-time so you can spend more time with your kids and your family and pursue other interests. And the path to financial independence will help get you to that point quicker. Yep, all right, so why is it easier to reach financial independence as a travel therapist? The obvious thing here is that you make more money. Um, in general, we usually tell people it's one and a half times to two times the amount you make at a permanent job. It also comes along with um, increased expenses to some degree, but I think the income almost always outweighs the expenses for 90% of people um, at least. So you usually make more money if you can maintain consistent work as a travel therapist. Um, you also have lower taxes and in some situations, since your taxable pay is lower, there are situations where you can get to paying $0 in federal taxes, which is pretty much what I did my entire career as a, um, as a traveler. I would decrease my taxable income enough through pre-tax retirement accounts and things like that to get my federal income tax to zero. And by having such a low tax rate, you're able to save much more, which increases the, um, the, the speed at which you can get to a financial independence number. Yeah, basically having lower taxes means you get to keep more of the money that you earned. So when you have a high tax rate, you have to give more of that money away in taxes. So each dollar you earn, you don't actually get to keep the whole dollar. So if you can reduce your taxable income by putting some money aside in pre-tax accounts like your 401k or your HSA or your IRA, you're putting that money aside for yourself later, but you're giving it to yourself instead of giving it to the government in the form of taxes. So you don't get to have it right now, but you're putting it aside for your future self to enjoy in your retirement. Um, and, and there are loopholes and ways that are beyond the scope of this video to access that money earlier if you need to. 
earlier than traditional retirement age. Yeah, another big factor here is that travel therapists learn to be minimalist. Uh, I think pretty much anybody at the traveler in here can um, agree to that point. You don't, it's not like you're buying a, a big house and buying a bunch of furniture for the house and all that. Almost every traveler is living a more frugal, minimal lifestyle. Um, and obviously the more minimal that you can live and still enjoy your life. So most, most travelers are adventurous people that do a lot of outdoor activities that are not very expensive. Um, when you can live a frugal, minimal, adventurous lifestyle, you can get to financial independence much quicker because your expenses are lower. Yeah, and I think a lot of people look at it and they say, well, I actually have higher expenses as a traveler because I have this expensive mortgage back home. We have to look at that like it's a choice. If you are choosing to keep your high mortgage back home, then yes, your expenses are gonna be higher. But especially a lot of you that are just getting started in your careers, maybe don't have a mortgage yet or have a lot of flexibility and options, you can choose to not keep a high mortgage tax home back at your, back at your permanent residence. You could instead choose to rent a room, which we've talked about before as a way to keep your expenses low. Rent a room at home from a family or a friend, uh, family member or friend, so you're Ta uh, your expenses back at home are pretty cheap. And then also when you go for your travel assignments, keep your expenses low by renting a room or getting a smaller accommodation so that you're keeping more of that paycheck. Like there are a lot of travel therapists out there that say, wow, I make $1,800 a week and I spend $1,800 a week because their rent is like $1,200 a month and then their car payment is this and their, you know, X. So there are a lot of travel therapists that just basically break even and don't keep a lot of extra money. But if you're really smart, it allows the opportunity for you to be a little more minimalist, keep your expenses low and come out way ahead financially. Yep. But oh. it's, it's all about choices. Yes, definitely all about choices. And you also have to look at that duplicating expenses as that's only temporary. So you're making more money offsets that tax home back home. You're learning to be a minimalist and enjoy your life on less. Um, so that when you do settle down in one place, you'll have less expenses there and you won't feel like you need so much. I think um, that is a common thread with travel therapists. They realize that happiness and it's not so much about things. It's more about adventures and experiences. Yeah, that's a huge point. I mean, it, it takes a lot of living and learning to realize that. But what we're talking about here isn't the typical American lifestyle. It's not the keeping up with the Joneses. It's not the most expensive car in the neighborhood. It's not the most expensive house in the neighborhood. If you want to live that lifestyle and you can afford to do it, then do it. But that's like the typical, I'm going to work to 65 lifestyle. If you're wanting to try to pursue this financial independence lifestyle, you are going to have to cut expenses here and there and just decide what really brings value to your life and what type of lifestyle do you want to live. Yeah, it's all about choices. All right, so the next way, like we mentioned earlier, is um, student loan, um, basically student loan payments and the option to go on a student uh, income-based student loan repayment plan uh, like we did. So I think for a lot of travelers, at least while you're traveling, it can make a lot of sense to go on the revised pay-as-you-earn um, income-based repayment plan because especially if you're doing, like I said earlier, and minimizing your taxes, contributing to pre-tax accounts and things like that, you can easily get to a situation where you have a $0 student loan payment. Um, my student loan payment since I graduated has been $100 or less per month. And right now it's $0, and last year it was $0. So if you can get to that point, basically what happens on a revised pay-as-you-earn uh, plan, half of that accumulated interest each month, so say my, my, uh, my interest rate on the student loans is 6%, half of that is subsidized, which means that my student loan balance is only actually, actually accruing at 3%. Um, well, I'm based on that 4% rule I was talking about earlier, I'm extremely confident that investments over a long period of time are going to return more than 3%. And 
And then in addition to that, if you stay on that plan for 25 years, then the total balance left is forgiven. So I think for most people, if you run the numbers, especially for travel therapists, it'll make sense to go that route. But then again, you're spreading that out over a long time and not everybody's comfortable with that. So that is just one option um, for travel therapists that doesn't really exist for people taking permanent jobs because their pay is so much higher, their taxable pay is higher. So that's the thing I wanted to talk about is you kind of jumped at it. It's like, why is that a loophole as a travel therapist? Don't you make more? Why are you qualifying for income-driven repayment if you make more as a travel therapist? So this is an important financial concept to understand. Um, when, they, when the government determines your eligibility for an income-driven repayment, they base it on what's called your AGI, or your adjusted gross income, which consists only of your taxable pay. So if you're somebody who makes um, you know, $50 an hour at a perm job, they're gonna, uh, and however much that is over a annual salary, 70,000 a year, or whatever it might be, um, they're going to base your income-driven repayment um, eligibility based on your whole salary because your whole salary at a normal job is taxed. When you are a travel therapist, only part of your pay is taxed, only the hourly portion of your pay. Your stipends are not taxed. So when you go to apply for eligibility for an income-driven repayment option, they're only looking at your taxable pay, which is actually quite a bit lower than that of a perm job. So it's kind of why it's a little bit of a loophole because they're only basing it on your taxable income so you actually do qualify. So the reason why Jared says, even if you only plan to do travel therapy for maybe the first couple of years of your career, it would make sense to go on that income-driven repayment plan during that time and just kind of push your loans back a couple of years while taking a big chunk of the extra money you're making and putting it into your retirement accounts. And then maybe three years in, you go off um, doing travel therapy contracts and you are like, okay, well now my uh, AGI, my gross income is way up. So I don't even qualify for this income driven repayment. Or if I do, my payment skyrocketed. So maybe now at this point, you want to spend the next five years just paying off your loans. But those first three years, you got to kind of push them back and defer them and have a really low loan payment while you were able to put a lot aside into savings, which is going to help you in the long run. Yeah. And keep in mind, everybody's situation is very different. So don't take this as advice for you. Talk to a financial advisor. Um, do your own research. This is just our opinion and what we've done. Um, but yeah, everybody's situation is very different there. Yeah. And if you want to dive into learning a little bit more about all of that, I know that's a lot of stuff. If you're, if you're not familiar with these concepts, please visit our website at fifthwheelpt.com. Jared has written several articles kind of breaking down the math and explaining why we have chosen to do income-driven repayment and why that has worked really well for our financial plan. But you, again, you need to run the numbers. Um, there's a website called Fitbucks. We really recommend their company for you to be able to use their free software on their website to run the scenarios. And then they also have some paid options where you can get counseling um, for your financial situation. Yeah, if you guys are getting value from this, please like this. We're getting some comments and questions. We'll answer those at the end. Um, but this is gonna go up on the podcast, so we don't wanna go to too far down uh, live video uh, question rabbit holes right now, but at the end, we'll go through all those. Yeah, thank you guys so much for watching. If you could just give it a thumbs up if you're learning anything or getting any value out of this. All right, so the next thing is health insurance. So you might be thinking, you know, why would travel therapists, health insurance, why would that make any sense? Well, if you start to research financial independence and, and people in the financial independence community, one of the common questions or common concerns is, if I leave my job, what am I gonna do for health insurance? Right now, the way things are with the Affordable Care Act, for people making a low income, and health insurance is extremely affordable. Um, for me right now, my health insurance is less than $100 a month. I think it's like $88 a month that I pay for health insurance. And that's because I'm on an Affordable Care Act plan, 
and based on my taxable income, it's low enough that my payment is extremely low. Um, and that's with a pretty good plan with a health savings account, which I'm able to further defer taxes on, um, which is a great thing. Uh, so there are some stipulations there. You can't get those um, subsidies while you're working at a job, but when you leave your job, so for us, when we're traveling internationally or traveling domestically or taking time off, we can sign up for this health insurance plan and get extremely low cost healthcare, whereas other people don't have that ability. Yeah, so that's kind of the between contract um, sort of thing. When you're on contract, we choose to go with the health insurance by the travel therapy company, and that's a pretty reasonable, um, regular rate. You for know. us, so pretty much when we're on contract, it's usually $100 or less for the cheapest health insurance plan through the travel company. And then when we're off contract, it's still $100 or less by going on the Affordable Care Act. Yeah. So our health insurance is always pretty low cost no matter what we're doing. Um, and that has been a very important thing for our path to financial independence. Yeah. So these are some of the main reasons why we think that travel therapy is a really good way to kickstart um, your ability to pursue financial independence, um, especially if you're somebody who's early in your career, you're a student, you're trying to determine um, the best route for you. Of course, the situation might be a little bit different for you financially if you're kind of in the middle towards the end of your career. Um, but the other thing that we want to talk about is just kind of the flexibility that travel therapy gives you. If you get to a point of financial independence or at least better financial security, because um, like we've chosen to do, we've kind of gone on what we call like semi-retirement. Yeah, I just finished up an article on this we're going to post probably next week. And uh, it kind of outlines what I would have done differently if I could go back. And basically what we did for our first four years or so is like this rapid sprint as fast as possible, save as much money as possible to get to a point of financial independence so then we could do whatever we wanted. Um, if I could go back, I wouldn't have done that because what I realized is that I think I would have rather had more flexibility early on in my career um, when we were a little bit younger. So 26, 27, I wish we would have done more international travel then instead of working nonstop for several years and then basically being at a point where we don't have to work, I think it would have been much better to work maybe six months a year much earlier on. And that's what we call semi-retirement. We'll probably do a video on that um, and talk about the article that I wrote. But I think that makes a lot of sense for travel therapists um, to transition to a point of basically working part of the year and not working part of the year to pursue other interests earlier on. And you can't do that at a permanent job, but you can as a travel therapist. Yeah. So you can work six months a year, I calculated that working six months a year, I can make as much as I, I would during a permanent job working the full year, at least in our area. And then I can take the other six months off to travel internationally, do road trips, um, pursue other hobbies, write, do whatever I want to do. So whether you choose to pursue travel therapy kind of in the beginning of your career like we have, or if you're somebody who's looking to transition to travel therapy in the middle or towards the end of your career, I think it lends itself really well to that retirement or semi-retirement lifestyle because a lot of people, they say, you know, I really love my career. I really love what I do. I still love helping people. It's not that I want to get away from that work completely. It's just that I want to have more time for myself, more time for my other interests, more time to travel, more, more time, time for my family. family. So I think travel therapy lends itself really well to that. If you put yourself in a good financial situation, um, not only can it help kickstart you to be in that good financial situation, but can also help you set up a lifestyle that you want to live where you maybe only work part of the year. Yes. Um, so again, we'll talk more about this in a future video, just very specifically how we got to that point. Yep. Um, so we want to take some questions. I know some of you guys are watching live. Um, if you have questions, please leave them for us in the comments. We'll read through a few 
questions. And then we also want to provide you guys at the end of the video um, tonight, we'll talk about some resources if you want to do some further reading and dive more into what this whole financial independence thing is and see if it's the right path for you. Yeah, questions or if you have any comments about your own financial independence journey or anything we talked about. Do you agree? Do you disagree? Um, we'd love to hear it. Yeah. All right, so Karen. Karen, <laughs> Karen says, do you recommend CDs for shavings? Uh, I don't want to give any specific advice. In general, though, I do not think that CDs make a lot of sense right now just because the interest rates are so low. Um, I think CDs probably 10 years ago, back before there was online savings accounts, made sense because usually you could get significantly more in a CD, a guaranteed return, than you could with, say, treasury bonds or a savings account. But nowadays, my savings account returns uh, 2%, which is not huge, um, but considering treasury rates where they are, and CD rates are not much higher than 2%. And you have those periods that you're locked in with the CD that you don't have with an online savings account. So I personally would regular rather go with a online savings account with like 2% or you can find some that are even a little higher than that than go with a, say, or a CD with the same amount but with additional stipulations. So Nick says um, it would be good if you can work in a state with no state taxes. So to that, yeah. I would add, if you could both work in a state with no state taxes and live in a state with no state taxes. As you, in your tax home, then yes, you're in, you're in a great situation. You'd be in a great situation, but it is important to keep in mind as a traveling therapist that you have to either or or both pay taxes to the state in which your tax home is and the state um, where you're traveling. So even if like your tax home is like ours in Virginia and you go and work in a no income state tax um, state like Florida, you're still going to be owing taxes back home in Virginia. So keep that in mind. Yeah, but if you can make your tax home, like if you're very flexible and you can choose wherever you want after school to, to make your tax home, then yeah, if you can choose a no income tax state, then that's, that's nothing but helpful. Yeah. Um, hey Kaylee, Kaylee says, Nick, you're saving and you're playing the stock market. Yeah, that's, that's one way to do it. Get financially ahead. Um, uh, Nick says, I got my New Mexico PT license and Walter White is no more. I'm making the red. That's my retirement plan. <laughs> Good plan, Nick. Let us know how that works out for you. Um, if anybody else is watching and would like to leave a comment, oh, we've got a couple other coming through. Okay, so um, Tenzin says, thoughts on the debt snowball tactic versus the debt avalanche for student loan payoff. So he's talking a little bit about the Dave Ramsey tactics for debt. I, this really depends on your personality, I think. Um, I think for the majority of people, the only reason Dave Ramsey, will start over, the uh, only reason Dave Ramsey recommends a debt snowball is because he talks about the psychological boost you get from paying off a debt. And so if that's something that you think you need, then go that direction. But mathematically, the debt avalanche, starting at the highest interest rate and paying off first highest interest rate and moving down the list is always gonna be mathematically better. So for me, um, I would always go the debt avalanche, get rid of the highest interest rate first, and you'll always come out ahead financially that way. Yeah, a lot of people um, really believe in the Dave Ramsey method, and it works really great for a lot of people, and we're not poo-pooing that at all. Um, he's got a lot of good information and education for people who are just getting started. Um, but like Jared said, a lot of the advice that he gives kind of is to help with the mental aspects of of debt you know it's it's yeah, geared towards psychology. a lot of people yeah psychology a lot of people that kind of got themselves into like credit card debt and have a lot of trouble with spending you know like i have family members that's like well if i know i have a credit card i'll do spending 
that I don't necessarily have the money for, and then you, you got yourself into all this debt. So if you need those psychological wins, um, it makes sense, but like Jared said, mathematically, it makes sense to pay off the one with the highest interest rate, because it's yeah. like, well, if I have credit card debt that's 24% interest, or I have student loan debt that's 6% interest, get rid of the credit card debt first, duh, and then if you have student loans that range anywhere from 4% to 8%, or you have some private ones that are like super high percent, don't worry about the amount of the loan, worry about the percentage because you're gonna pay more in interest in the long run. So it depends on what method works for you, but he definitely has some good um, ideology just for basics and getting started yeah. as a beginner. Yes, great, great place to start for beginners. Um, Kelsey said, not sure if this is relevant, but have you ever heard of travel jobs or contracts where your loan payments can count towards PSLF? Uh, no, the answer is every, so when you work a travel contract, you're working through the, um, the travel company itself, not through the hospital system or, or wherever you're working. So even if it's a nonprofit that your contract is at, you're still working for the travel company, which is a for-profit company. Mm -hmm. So there will never be a situation as a traveler where your payments will count towards public service loan forgiveness. Mm -hmm. But that does not mean that it's still not a good idea to, to go income-based and maybe eventually after you stop traveling, um, then you start working on your 10 years of public service loan forgiveness then. Yeah, so what, what she's talking about there, if you're not so familiar with this, the PSLF, the Public Service Loan Forgiveness, is the type of income-driven repayment where your loans actually get forgiven after 10 years. If you work 10 years and make your consistent payments over those 10 years at a not-for-profit organization. So if you choose to go that route, you would have to work at a not-for-profit hospital or organization, but you can't do it as a traveler because none of the travel companies are, they're all for profit, yeah. but you can still qualify for the other types of income driven repayment, which are more the 20 or 25 year plans, um, but just not the 10 year one, yep. unfortunately. All right. Um, Lewis says, this is a little bit unrelated. Um, in a, I'm in a more unique travel position um, as it was a year contract. It's a newer program. When I express, expressed to the hiring managers, I needed to return home 30 days a year. That was sort of brushed aside. I'm planning on using PTO and going on unpaid leave for the month of December. And I was wondering if you know of any concrete resources that say that you're at risk if you're not, uh, not returning to the same place. I know it's strictly stated in the IRS guidelines, which in lies the difficulty. So I want to gather as many resources as I can. So we last year went and met with uh, Joe Smith from Travel Tax and interviewed him. And I would say he is the probably the number one resource, at least that we know of, on anything travel and tax related. He said that it's not 30 days per year necessarily, but 60 days per two years. So in that situation, let's say you work an entire year contract. Um, if you finish that contract and then go home for a couple months and then take your next contract, you should be good there. Um, you definitely want to maybe check with him or check with another tax professional, but that's our understanding and that's what he told us. Yep. So 60 days every two years, if you just go for a year and don't return home, not ideal, definitely not ideal, but um, you probably should be fine if you're audited, but definitely check with a tax pro there. As far as resources, after we get done with the video, um, I will link to that video that we did, the interview we did with Joe Smith at Travel Tax in our comments, so you can watch that. And then I'll try to go on his page at traveltax.com and link to the specific section. I think he has something in his frequently asked questions that specifically says 60 days within 24 months. So that could be a resource that you could point to specifically. Yep. So for those of you that are watching, um, just to kind of give a summary of what we've talked about with financial independence and to help give you some further resources if you want to dive into this information more, 
Um, again, we, we kind of talked about the definition of financial independence. Um, if you want to rehash the definition for us. Yeah, so basically take your yearly expenses, multiply by 25, you get a number there, and that's kind of your target for financial independence based on the 4% rule, which is a research-based um, research based method to never run out of money uh, if your money is invested intelligently. Um, so that's the 4% rule. You can do some more research on that. I've written about it in the past on Fifth Wheel PT website. Um, and I think one of the main take-home points here is that you do not have to be extremely frugal. Just get a handle on your financial situation. Estimate what your yearly expenses are or track your yearly expenses. If you're completely new um, to personal finance, saving, investing, track your expenses for a year. See how much you spend, multiply that by 25, and then you at least have a target to shoot for. And you know that once you get to that point, you are not really working. You don't have to work anymore. I mean, you can continue to work if you enjoy what you do, but if you don't, you don't need income. You can live off of that um, That investment account from that point forward. Yeah, the essence of financial independence is getting to a point where you have enough saved and enough invested where you can just live off that for the rest of your life and not have to go to work if you don't want to. So like Jared said, track your expenses, kind of get an idea of how much you really need to live a meaningful life every year. And if you're, you you say, well, I think I spend about 40,000 a year or whatever it might be. And then you run the numbers and you're like, that means I have to work for another 30 years. I want to work less than that. I don't want to work for number thir another 30 years. Then that's at the point where you come back to your budget and you say, where can I cut out some of my expenses and still live a meaningful life um, to get to this number faster? Or where can I cut out some stuff to get to the point like we have of kind of semi-retirement? If I choose to do travel therapy, can I afford to just work a couple contracts a year instead of working year round and go that route where I'm still earning some income, but I'm still living my life too. Um, find out if that's a solution that works for you. And again, we're gonna do another video in the future more specifically about semi-retirement and yeah. kind of working part of the year. And I don't want, the story that I shared, what I did, saving really aggressively, decreasing my budget a lot to scare anybody away because everybody's path is completely different. If you can save 25%, that is much better than I think the typical savings rate for an American is like between 5 and 10%. So if you can save 25% of your income, you're going to get to retirement much faster than your peers. And the more you can save, the better. But Absolutely. it never needs to be something that you're depriving yourself from things that you really enjoy. Um, just try to cut out things that don't really bring you joy. That's the main thing. Absolutely. So if you want to learn more about this, if you're totally sold on why you should do, um, you know, pursue a path to financial independence, Jared has a ton of articles about this on our personal blog. We don't write about it as much on our travel therapy mentor website because it's not specifically geared towards travel therapy, more personal finance. So if you go to our personal blog at fifthwheelpt.com and click on the tab that says, says finance, Jared has tons of articles talking all about his journey to financial independence, kind of some different methods to get there, how to save, um, the, the really detailed stuff about income-driven repayment, student loan repayment, that sort of thing. Um, and then there's some other resources that we really like where they talk about financial independence in general, but not just for travel therapists. Yeah, there's a podcast called uh, Choose FI that has been around for a few years now. That's really good, um, especially some of the early episodes. There was a lot of actionable tips in there for saving, investing, decreasing expenses, um, and I really enjoyed that along my journey. Um, they're also now, they have a book, the Choose FI, I think it's... Blueprint to Financial Independence. Yeah. And he's saying Choose FI, which stands for Financial Independence. Yeah, and actually the Choose FI book is really cool because it was written by Chris Mamula, who is a travel, or not a travel PT, a physical therapist that retired at 40. And I did an interview with him probably six or seven months ago now on the Fifth Wheel PT page, 
talking about the book and about his journey and, and those kind of things. Um, so that's a very good resource. There's also the Mad Scientist uh, blog, Scientist like financial independence. Um, I got a lot of valuable information from there when I started learning about this probably five or six years ago. Um, there's a website I really call it, like called Go Curry Cracker, which is actually the website that gave us the idea to start doing these long international trips, reading about how little they spent while traveling internationally for long periods of time, um, made me decide that that's something I wanted to do and then I got Whitney on board. So that's a really good website. And then there's also Mr. Money Mustache, which is kind of like the, um, he's kind of the person that really popularized financial independence and early retirement. He retired very early and he's all about um, decreasing expenses, saving and investing. So all of those resources are, are really great places to start. So if you want to dive in further and learn more about financial independence, check out those resources, check out our blog. Um, let us know if you have any questions, we'd be happy to help. And we had one more question here. Uh, Tenzin said, will you guys be doing a travel therapy market update video anytime soon? We probably will in two to three weeks. Uh, there hasn't been a huge change. There's a slight uptick right now, so there's not a whole lot of brand new information to share. So we want to wait a little bit longer, but probably two or three weeks from now, our video will be on the travel therapy market and what we're seeing in terms of trends. Yeah, we've, we've talked to our um, recruiters in the past few weeks, and they've said that the jobs have slightly increased, but it seems like the number of applicants is just increasing right there with it. So even though they're seeing a few more jobs, it's not making a huge meaningful difference in the ability for candidates to get those jobs because there's just so many candidates looking for work right now that have been laid off and then normal travel therapists, new grads, so forth and so on. So it's still pretty tough out there. Yep. Um, it's kind of the summary. All right. So next week, next Sunday evening, we'll have another video. Um, it'll be live on Facebook. If you're watching this live, always feel free to ask us questions, um, tune in and watch it. If you're watching this on the podcast, please subscribe to the podcast. Or our YouTube channel. Yeah, or our YouTube channel if you're listening or watching there. Um, and then remember, we're also doing, in addition to our weekly Sunday videos for the next five weeks, we're doing our Travel Therapy 101 mini-series. So if you're brand new to travel therapy and want to learn more about the basics of travel therapy, stay tuned. Every Wednesday, we will be releasing a new video and podcast about the basics of travel therapy. And then every Saturday, we'll do an article accompanying it. So last week, we talked about what is travel therapy and has it work. This week, we're going to be talking about Travel Therapy Pay 101. Yep. All right. Thanks for watching. We'll see you guys next week. Have a great night. Bye.